Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true here on uh, the Tell Me Your Story radio program, podcast broadcast, as I like to call it, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Player FM, and a lot of other folks are signing us up on other uh, websites for podcasts, and we thank you for doing that, and we greatly appreciate that. We also encourage you to listen to the podcast. If you're only listening to the radio broadcast, you're not getting it all. I can tell you that right now. So you want to you grab all that you can in that regard uh, so that uh, you can continue your evolutionary process, and uh, we just encourage you to do that. So with that being said, and if, you'd like, if you like what we're doing, please support us uh, by uh, uh, going to PayPal and Patreon. Uh, the links are on my website so that you can support us financially if you're able to do so. We thank those who have and those who will. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, you will also take energetic support as well. Today's program is going to deepen your faith and bring the impossible to life, to your life. Dream Like Jesus by Rebecca Simon-Peter. And we want to thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us here on the program. I think we're going to have a good time here on the program and uh, discussing the subject and dreams. How are yeah, you doing really today? I'm looking forward to it, Richard. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. You're very welcome. I have really uh, been looking forward to this because it's, it's, a, it's a subject that certainly a lot of folks are are. I don't know, sometimes confused about one of the analogies that I like to use uh, is uh, that um, of Jesus speaking to his apostles. He's performing all of these miracles. Right. And they're just in awe. That's like, wow, this is really cool. And uh, this isn't King Jimmy. This is paraphrased uh, uh, Reverend Dr. D. Um, Could you teach us to do that stuff? That is really neat. I mean, the loaves and fishes and the wine and the dead to life and that, 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 that. And and he just basically responds, really? Seriously? Yeah, I can teach you to do this. But I got to tell you something. This is nothing compared to the works that you are going to do. And I personally believe, now I'm out of the paraphrasing here, the greater work is the transformation of our lives. Mm. What are your thoughts? Give me your impressions, ideas, et cetera, et cetera, as we get into dream like Jesus. Okay, Reverend Doctor, well, here's what I think. I think that, um, first off, I love the idea that Jesus carried out his vision through his apostles, that he's not actually the one that did all the work, and that they were able to do the kinds of things that he did. And that's what I teach my listeners and my participants in my programs and my readers is how they too can do the kind of stuff Jesus did. Now, I think it's in our lives, yes, but I want to add to that. I think that the biggest transformation is of our consciousness. And mm-hmm. I think that's how our lives begin to shift because we hold a higher vibration, because we have a larger sense of who we are, and because we discover our own inner divinity. And I think that um, the big part of being Christ-like, you know, which is what we aspire to, being Christ-like is not only to be that out in the world, feeding people, loving people, which is fabulous, but actually um, expanding your consciousness so that you understand that just like Jesus, you're one with God, just like Jesus, your prayers have power, just like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a superpower, and that's uh, being able to manage your own mindset, choose your thoughts, choose the kind of um, wavelength that you want to operate on. And we tend to call that faith, but a lot of times, and you know this, people tend to have faith in Jesus, but they don't necessarily have the faith of Jesus. And that's what I'm teaching people how to do. And there is a difference. Talk to us about the difference. Yeah. Well, I think when we believe in Jesus, we think, great, he's got this. You know, he can do it. He's got this. You know, I just have to pray to him. That's going to empower him to do the stuff in our world. But when I read the Gospels, when I read the Bible, I see that Jesus says, yeah, I'm the light of the world, but so are you. Uh, yeah, I can do this stuff. You're going to do even greater things. I think, I think the hidden message there of the Gospels is that you can believe like Jesus. You can not only have faith in Christ, but you can have the faith of Christ. I think that's the hidden message in the gospel that we're called to. 
And, and the way I think about it, um, Richard, is I work with church leaders uh, around the world, around the country, is that, oh, I just lost my train of thought. That's what, all right. what was I going to say? It was fabulous. Um, it, oh, it's really that move from being a disciple to being an apostle. And I see that Jesus called, you know, the people he called, he called them as apostles, but then he first put them through this, this training period, this process of learning and absorbing and, you know, watching him. And that was that process of discipleship where they followed, they absorbed, they learned, they lived with the guy, right? They traveled with him for three years. And during that three years, there was a time he's like, okay, I'm sending you out. And it was during that sending out process that they began to function in their true functioning, which was as apostles. And the word disciple has, you know, the root is like student and apostle, the root is about being sent forth. And so I think that discipleship or following was always and only ever the first step in the spiritual development uh, of Christians and those who relate to Jesus and, and resonate with his message. The second step is always to go out, to be sent forth, and to be the carrier of the message and not just sort of a wannabe isn't maybe that's sort of the word you know not just a follower but mm -hmm. go be the message go like gandhi said go be the change you wish to see in the world that's what jesus was about yeah one of the things that i also find very interesting um and and in in this particular period of time in which we are i'm not going to say it's extraordinary because there are always extraordinary times. I don't know that man has ever lived in other than extraordinary times. But yeah. um, the one thing that I find uh, interesting, and I read a, a, a series of books, I think it was a five-part series called The Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East. Mm. And I think it was in book three. Uh, this was written by, um, I want to say, uh, Gerald Spalding. I think that's correct. Last name Spalding is correct. I'm not sure if it's Gerald, but be that as it may. And they were traveling throughout uh, the world, and they they were uh, they came in upon this cave. They went inside this cave, and they were having these supernatural experiences. Well, in this cave, who should show up but Pontius Pilate? So they have a conversation with him, and then Jesus comes out of the back of the cave, the, the you wow. know Jesus of Nazareth, and they're conversing. And one of the things that he says, and I remember highlighting this in my my particular book. Um, and, um, uh, basically the conversation, uh, was, was along the lines of, you know, I, this is Jesus speaking. I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of, kind of sad, kind of down because I can't get close to the people. Uh, they, they won't let me, they keep putting me high up on this pedestal and, and I'm just like them. I mean, even as you say, as you have stated, uh, Rebecca, I'm just like them in the, in the sense that. I had a human body and I need companionship and I need community and I need connection, but they won't let me because they've so deified me as it's making it impossible for me to get close. And, uh, you know, I used yellow highlighter back then and boy, that was one huge piece of yellow because that really spoke to me because there was a time when I um, was searching for community and I found the Baha'i faith uh, with yeah. the founder Baha'u'llah and uh, I started going to uh, their firesides, which were sort of their little conversational periods where you could go and ask questions and and help and they would give you books and this and that and the other thing. And and I chose to become a Baha'i, but I couldn't take that last step because I realized that I'd be joining under false pretenses. I was joining only because I wanted community. I was accepted. I was appreciated. Not because I was willing to believe what they were asking me to. And I wasn't uh, uh, um, uh, offended by that. I wasn't abhorrent to the idea. But it was the false pretenses I perceived. I just couldn't do it. But I was affiliated with the Baha'i faith for about a year and a half back in the 90s. Um, what are your thoughts in that regard to, because you, because of the way you phrased it, people have faith in Jesus rather than the faith of, do you think that there is a little bit of a misplaced, um, a, a chain to the wrong 
anchor, shall we say? Or to the anchor that doesn't really, that's not where the power is. It's in the faith of rather than believing in the man, the deity, if you will. Yeah, I think people can come to it either way. I don't think there's a wrong way, Richard. I think that um, there are many Christians who start with the faith in Jesus. And that's great. They relate to Jesus. They're in the disciple mode. They're the following mode. They want to learn. They want to absorb. Mm-hmm. They want to emulate Jesus. That's excellent. Um, emulation is excellent. But there comes and there comes a time when we're called to step up and to see ourselves as capable of even more than simply emulating Jesus. But actually, it's I feel like he he puts a hand out and like, here's a here's a step up. Let me help you up um, so that you can begin to fulfill even more of the promises here, which is to do these greater works, to believe like I'm believing, to see yourself as one with the father as well. So some people come in through the route of believing in Jesus Uh, to them. My message is beautiful. And let's expand it. Mm -hmm. There are other people, I think, who. Uh, may not resonate there, but they already want to have the faith of Jesus. They want to see something more in themselves. And they may find in Jesus a brother, um, a guide, mm-hmm. a companion, a master, a, a, a personification of the kind of spiritual connection and the spiritual authority that these folks wish to have. Um my own journey was one that was very unexpected. So I don't, I don't limit people to how they will find or experience God or how God will reach out to them. I mean, I started off in the reform Jewish community, born and raised Catholic dad, Jewish mom, all kids were raised Jewish. Mm. And then I went and had uh, a spiritual awakening in Israel where I was visiting family and I had a, a sort of a knock upside the head one night and I just felt it was God speaking to me. And I realized that between the time I was growing up and I was bought mitzvah and all of that at the age of 13 confirmed at the age of 16, then I sort of went off and did my own thing. I call it the sex, drugs and rock and roll tribe when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And then in my early twenties, when I was on this trip to Israel, um, I was like, oh, there, there is a God. And I've been living my life all wrong. Out of that, I actually joined up with the Orthodox Jewish community because that was the, the connection and the affiliation of the family that I was visiting, my family that I was visiting in Israel. And so I, I was in the Orthodox Jewish community for a while. That very much spoke to me, the deep, deep rootedness of it all. I put my feminism on hold for a while. It just absorbed the depth and the riches of that beautiful, beautiful tradition. And out of that experience, then I had an experience with Jesus. So, uh, you know, mine is not like the ordinary way to become Orthodox or Christian or any of that. And I think that, uh, you know, we're in a dance with the divine and God reaches out to us and we reach out to God in all sorts of ways that make sense to us at the time. And, and ultimately we're all going to wind up where we're supposed to go. You know, the, the connection that we're that our souls yearn for will be fulfilled. That's what I believe. That's been my experience. Well, I also know, too, um, having not only worked uh, back in the 80s and early 90s during the televangelistic years of Christianity, here in this country specifically, uh, I worked for Christian Station for 15 years. Greatest education I was ever paid for. Uh, in addition to learning a bit about broadcasting, which was great, uh, sociology, psychology, comparative religions, uh, political science, and the list goes on. And even back then, there were concerns about shrinking numbers in the pews, about uh, problem people. Uh, Speaking of which, I always found it fascinating how some uh, people would did not want certain individuals inside their church sitting in their pews like oh let me let me use a a catch-all phrase they didn't want the sinners in the church 
the prostitutes, the gays, the bisexuals, um, the the murderers, etc. The list goes on. And I'm going, wait a minute. Every place I've ever read in the New Testament, those are the people that are supposed to be there. That that are are, are always, embraced yeah. with open arms. Yeah, I thought there's that was always, strange. Yeah, there, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, Richard, I I have a previous book called um, "The Jew Named Jesus" mm-hmm. because I wanted to write about my own experience of this vision that I had of Jesus. He came to me in a vision, and and I wanted to write about that because the Jesus that came to me in a vision was very very Jewish. Here I am in the Orthodox Jewish community. I have this mm-hmm. this waking vision of Jesus. He comes to me with a crinkle in his eye and warm, dark skin and curly, dark beard and hair and all of that. And it's probably the only way I would have paid attention. And so I ended up following him uh, right into seminary where I thought, I want to find out more about this guy. And when I actually got into the church proper as a minister, I was in the United Methodist Church and ordained clergy, I realized and noticed that the Jesus that came to me uh, wasn't really the Jesus that was preached in church. Mm. And I ended up doing a lot of workshops and a lot of talking, a lot of thinking about it, a lot of deep thinking about that and wrote this book, The Jew Named Jesus. And one of the things that I came to is that often um, Christians look at Jesus as though he were a Gentile, you know, very nice Gentile, and that Mm -hmm. he stood against the Jews. And it's really interesting for people to actually consider that Jesus was Jewish and that he stood with and for other Jews in a prophetic way, in a loving way, a very biblical way, but he wasn't anti-Jewish and he wasn't not Jewish. But I think we have this mistaken notion because of this idea that he was a Gentile or a Christian as it were, that in order to stand with Jesus, you've actually got to stand against somebody else. Mm -hmm. There's always an us versus them. And so, you know, through the ages, just fill in the blanks, you know, uh, blacks, gays, Muslims, Republicans, Democrats, you know, it's us versus them. And we keep going through all the us's and the them's. Mm -hmm. And there's always the new them. And I think, I, I don't know if this is just human nature, but I can see in the roots of Christianity that there's this us versus them. And I think we need to undo that. I think we need to understand that Jesus was with and for the Jewish people, yeah. and that to be a follower of Jesus is to be with and for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that you know there aren't prophetic words, and it doesn't mean that there isn't tough love or whatever's called for. But it's with and for, not against other people. Yeah. You know, uh, you raise a very interesting point, and I have come to. Uh, a couple of uh, uh, heretical conclusions because okay. I think that's how it would be. I think that's how it would be perceived by some people. Okay. You've already stated, you've already made my point that Jesus was a Jew. Yeah. And, and if I was to be a quote unquote follower of Jesus, a genuine, true follower, I must be Jewish. I must be a member of the Jewish faith, not a Christian, especially considering, point two, the word Christian was a derogatory, it's like the Mm F-bomb, term labeled by the Jews and the Romans, the Pharisees as well as the Romans, against those who were followers and believers in Jesus, Mm -hmm. the Jew from Nazareth. Mm -hmm. That's what they called them, and yet... That's the name that these followers took was to be calling themselves Christians. And now whether that was because, you know, they were going to say, all right, fine, you want to call us that? Then that's what we will be because that's what we are, followers of Jesus. Even though you're meaning it in a a, a, a rhetorical and sarcastic and inflammatory way, that's what we're going to. I'm sitting here thinking, no, 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 no. I really want to be a genuine follower. I got to be a Jew. And I find it interesting, too. You have one man on your staff. I was looking at your faculty. You got at least as far as the website's concerned. Don't get me wrong. You may have others. But the first pope, if you want to call him that, call that person that the first person of the um, church should never have been Peter. 
It should have been the person who recognized who he was following his resurrection. Mary. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And that the guys basically came upon him and said, hey, buddy, our, 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 our friend just died and we're looking for some place yeah. to go to, 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 uh, to sulk and, and, and uh, drown our sorrows. Can you tell us uh, where we can do that? And they didn't recognize anything. And Mary yeah. went to reach out to touch him. And I paraphrase yeah. here. And he basically says, no, 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 don't touch. Paint's not dry yet. Right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, a lot of inaccuracies from that standpoint or uh, misdirection, I guess, is what I want to say. Mm. But I noticed that in in your uh, on your website in particular, through what you are doing uh, on your website, uh, through creative uh, creating a culture, which I really, really like. Um, talk to us a little bit. We're going to get into the dreams uh, of Jesus here in just a moment uh, and the book dream like Jesus. But yeah. talk to me from your perspective, especially as a woman, but also as a member of the clergy, um, your uh, observations of what's going on in the world today, set the virus aside. Okay. Uh, talking yeah. about the me too movement and all of that. And what appears to be not so much a resurgence as much as an explosion of the feminine in the world today, not just in this country. Yeah, so true. And the so fight true. against them. We can't let them well, take over. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when I was uh, in the United Methodist Church, which is the tradition that I have been ordained in, they ordain women. Not all denominations do, not all Christian organizations do. And when people have trouble with it, I would say, you know, talk to God about this. This is this wasn't like a career move for me. This wasn't my idea. I was called. Yeah. Um, and and I think more and more women are are paying attention to their inner wisdom on that. And of course, the denominations are as well. They're wrestling with that. Um, I mean, honestly, the fact that sexism is even a thing still is pretty shocking because yeah. it's 2020. Hello. Hello. Well, by but the way, it's two, 2020, the year of perfect vision. Yeah, I mean, right. 2020, <laughs> exactly. Dream like Jesus. Uh, and you've got a great vision story yourself. Thank you. But yeah, the fact that we're even like still like, should women, um, you know, be okay in leadership? Yeah. Um, to me, that's, you know, it's like, take it up with God. Because yeah. I've been called and my my sister, women clergy, we know we're called. We know God has yeah. called us, just like Mary knew that she had experienced what she had experienced. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think that cultural mores took over um, spiritual truths uh, back in uh, Jesus's day, Paul's day, and ever since then. And it's this question of um, women understanding and trusting their own power and our own experiences. And the Me Too movement is finally like, okay, enough is enough already. Yeah. We're gonna speak out. So a lot of it's about women needing to, and finally, and of course women have, like having the courage of our own convictions and trusting our own voices. As we trust our voices, more men will trust our voices. It, it takes a lot of courage and I'm not dissing anybody who hasn't spoken up in the past. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm damn proud of us for speaking up and saying what's true for us, whether it's spiritual calling, whether it's uh, sexual abuse, whatever it is, it's it's really about this resurgence of women trusting our own voices and our own experiences. And I'm grateful that the whole time I've been growing up, that's the backdrop against which I grew up. I mean, I remember Helen Reddy singing, I am woman, hear me roar. Yeah. And in seminary, uh, many uh, books written by female theologians about trusting women's voices, uh, even in the field of medicine, where all of a sudden we're realizing over the last 10 or 20 years, oh, most medical trials are carried out on men as if they're the norm of the population and medical trials being conceived of differently so that women's bodies, women's experience, women's biology can be taken into account. So yeah, there's a lot of it. It's about time and the fact that the era might finally be passed yeah come on people that, we can do this why not I, and it's yeah. really sad that we even have to have uh something like that have to pass in this country especially 
yeah. when it should just be the norm. But obviously, uh, that's kind of the way things func- work in, in the United States of America under the form of government that we have. One of the things, though, that I want to talk about, too, before we go to break and then when we come back, we're going to dive into uh, uh, Jesus Dream World. Um, and that has to do with uh, uh, and, and um, it must be an affliction going around because my went it went went away, too. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump back to this list of problems that we seem to be having, uh, especially when it comes to uh, congregating, shall we say. One of them has to do with the. Uh, 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 um, a listless worship, uh, a, a gutless prayer, a um, bait-and-switch mm-hmm. evangelism, uh, insulated focus, dead-end decision-making, as well as stagnant giving, as well as, and I mentioned problem people. You know, it, it uh, finally dawned on me not long ago, and we're talking, oh God, I'm almost 60, and... and uh, you know, it's like I remember my my brother and I were conversing after uh, we had dinner at a reunion out in Coolidge, Arizona, walking out in the desert uh, away from the Elks Lodge. And we were chatting and I was sharing my philosophy and where I was coming from. He says, well, Richard, it's about time you got it. To which I immediately responded, Mike, it's not when you get it. It's that you get it. Mm. And one of the things that I have gotten is. As much as church attendance has fallen off, which on the one hand, I think it's a good thing in the sense that people are starting to hopefully find their own way. I also acknowledge the vital importance of community. Talk to us about that. Yeah, it's a both and. Um, I was talking with a friend earlier about this today. I think that the rise of organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous that says uh, that redistributes spiritual authority to the individual, uh, that has changed the landscape in which we live. Alcoholics Anonymous is about 85 years old. It's had a profound impact on the society in which we live and no longer is a doctrine uh, or spiritual authority um, relegated to members of the clergy as the authorities, as the ones who know. But uh, it's God as you understand God in the 12-step circles. And 12-step circles are huge. You know, there's so many of those. And that's had, a, that's had a direct impact on the church and it's had a direct impact on the culture. So I think on the one hand, it's excellent because when people can move from having a, a religious belief to actually deepening that into a spiritual experience Mm -hmm. or a spiritual awakening that's powerful because that's what the bible's full of on the other hand it has done some weakening of church structures or it's done some it's pushed on church structures and i don't know that church structures have really adapted all that quickly to that there is an adaptation going on and in the book dream like jesus what i'm writing about is um we've focused ourselves on sort of shoring up the institution. We focused ourselves on doctrine and the right way to believe. What we haven't done is actually tapped into Jesus and his big dream for humanity, which is what people are yearning for. People are yearning to make a difference. People are yearning to um, have their lives contribute to something bigger and to understand that there's something bigger Um, and that spirituality can be located within. So what I'm really calling church leaders to and churches to is to move from an inward focus to an outward focus and from a sort of a, a, um, a belief focus, like a recitation of beliefs to like a deep spirituality focus. And, and, um, and that takes into account the positive impact that Alcoholics Anonymous and other groups like that have had on us. But I see Jesus's dream as Thy kingdom come, thy world were uh, that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, that earth really can be a reflection of all that we think of when it comes to heaven, all the love, all the forgiveness, all the kindness, all the joy, the humor, the inclusion, the justice, all of that, all those ultimate values, you know, that we have, that we ascribe to God, that we can live in such a way that people experience that when they're around us, you know, that we become bearers, apostles, right? Mm -hmm. Of the king, 
we become bearers of that. And so what I write about all those things you mentioned, problem people, listless worship, stagnant giving, those are all signs of a church without a vision. Mm. And I, if I could get one thing across to people, it's dream big, dream so big that you're scared of your dream, dream so big that you're not only scared, it requires God to come in and help you accomplish that. We are co-creating mm -hmm. miracles where you're envisioning a new reality. And even though you don't know how you're gonna get there, you're trusting in this, this walk with God where there will be this dance that you're in together and something miraculous, something new, something unexpected will come out of it, something bigger than what you want. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think people long for that. We just don't always have the faith that we can do it. Maybe we don't even have, feel we have the permission to do that, but I want this book to give people permission to get back to dreaming like Jesus and yeah. understanding who they really are, co-creators with God. The irony is you don't need permission uh, because it's always been there, but apparently because of what we've been taught, yeah, well, okay, <clears throat> can I have permission to do a dream like Jesus um, and uh, get yourself a copy of it? Also, I will add to what you've just said by saying this. If you're going to dream, dream big, or as they say, go home. <laughs> go home. <laughs> yep. Rebecca, yeah. Rebecca, Simon, Peter, we're going to talk more with you about how to dream like Jesus, deepen your faith and bring the impossible to life. What website do you want us to go to to find out more about you as we are going to continue here in just a couple of moments talking more about the specifics of uh, the work that you are doing? Yeah, please go to my website, RebeccaSimonPeter.com. I'll spell it. R-E-B-E-K-A-H, Simon Peter, S-I-M-O-N-P-E-T-E-R.com. There you'll be able to find out all about me, my programs, uh, and even be directed to places that you can buy the book. Excellent. We'll be back in just a moment uh, with uh, Rebecca and talk more about this aspect of uh, dreaming like Jesus and find out what that's all about. And uh, uh, hopefully we, we don't need a sleeping pill to get there and uh, we just... Uh, start to begin the process of doing one of the things that she's already mentioned, folks, and that we have been talking about, I can't tell you for how many years, about trusting your intuition, listening to the still small voice. I want you to listen to this as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Tell me your story. Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I am your host, Richard Dugan, and I am here with uh, my good friend, I'd like to think, uh, I would have to say, I guess, Rebecca, Reverend Rebecca Simon Peter. I'm going to just take a shot in the dark, and I'm sure you've been asked this numerous times, so this is an old question uh, asked by a new person. Simon Peter's not your real last name, is it? <laughs> oh, you know what? Um, I went through such a major change when I had that experience with Jesus that the old me, the old name, it just, it wasn't me anymore. Didn't fit. And didn't fit. Not only, not only the last name, but the first name. In fact, I have a whole brand new name and all of it was, um, uh, prompted by God. So mm -hmm. I was, um, God whispered, um, Rebecca to me, God whispered, Simon Peter. In fact, I didn't even know who Simon Peter was when I started to get that name in mm -hmm. my head. And I had to ask a friend, is he a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't read the New Testament. She said, no, he's a pretty good guy. And what I really like about the name Simon Peter is that Simon was a Jew who followed Jesus. And in the process, Jesus changed his name. Uh, Rebecca was a woman who went against the cultural expectations of her time and her place and followed God over those cultural expectations. And all of that just felt like it really fit for me. Hmm. So the whole name, it, uh, like happens in the Bible, when people have a God experience, the whole name is new and it's a name I've gotten to grow into. And that I really resonate with. In fact, when I got married to my husband, Jerry Gonzalez, uh, he's like, we're going to change your name. And I'd been married before. I was like, honey, I've already changed my name a couple of times. I'm sticking right here. <laughs> and uh, But you can call me Mrs. Gonzalez. And I love when people do. 
and Rebecca Simon Peter is the name. Well, we are, first of all, grateful that you have uh, given us so much time here on the program. I, I find it fascinating uh, how, and, and I have to say that my first experience of being in awe of um, people who were of a fundamentalist uh, uh, belief uh, in Jesus uh, and so forth could have such divergent and diverse beliefs that were almost counter or contradictory to those doctrines and dogmas of the particular sect of Christianity they chose to be in. And Mm -hmm. it gave me hope for the future that we would not Mm -hmm. continue to maintain this this hatred and this bigotry and, and, and all of the different attributes, especially what we saw on television in the 80s and 90s of televangelism. That was just... Uh, and I have to say that in my observations of, of those individuals, all men, I must tell you, one in particular who continued to rail against one subject almost all the time. And a uh, Shakespearean passage came to mind. Methinks thou dost protest too much. Hey, 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 stop reading my mind. <laughs> you are correct. That is exactly correct. Uh, Because I always thought, you know, the thing that you rail against the most is most likely the thing that you are going to get caught in sometime down the road. And that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, And unfortunately, people like Jim Baker, uh, who are now pushing snake oil um, for this virus, it's like, my gosh, the man has not learned a thing. Not a darn thing, uh, because the people that he has been had, uh, for example, in this particular program they featured on a on a special broadcast, uh, he uh, he basically uh, was told um, uh, by this person. You know, uh, it has been has not been tested on this particular uh, uh, virus, but on others like it. To which he just kept right on going, well, this will take care of 19, you know. And so it's like, you didn't listen. You didn't. Hear. And she was even interviewed by the news service that was following this story. And she said, no, I never said. They even played the tape. She didn't. And it's like, this is one of the problems that I see within, even within the church, let alone elsewhere. People just say stuff. Mm. They have nothing to back it up other than they're just saying it. They're just saying it to say it. And I I just am beside myself sometimes with disbelief that really mm. and people will believe this stuff whatever it is. I mean I'm not I'm not going to say specifically what but just in general. And then what happens is somewhere down the road we have an experience that completely I mean, I will even go so far, and I say this more um, metaphorically, shall we say? Okay, now, I don't know about you, but where were you physically on September the 11th of 2001? What part of the country were you living in? Was I physically? Yeah. I was about to events. I was was in Rollins, Wyoming. I was about to walk into association breakfast when the news was reported okay to me. all right so you were not in new york i was no. in i was in phoenix okay now i saw the tv too but you know what the first thought went through my mind wow hollywood has really gotten good at this stuff this is really amazing stuff mm-hmm. and certainly there are conspiracy theorists who claim that blah 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 but to go this i i would go this far to make my point about people just saying stuff you weren't in new york and neither was i I don't know that it really happened. Holocaust uh, deniers say the same thing. I wasn't there. I'm seeing these made up movies and films, but I, I wasn't there. If that's the criterion for whether or not something happened or something is true or not, we're in a world of hurt. And that's why I yeah, want to. I think there's a real there's a. There's a real problem with the disbelief of science. Mm-hmm. There's a real problem with truthiness um, and, and um, 
passing off lies as truth just because you say it over and over and over and because your people want to believe that. And I, I have a deep problem with that. Um, I have a science background. I bring my faith and science together. I do not think they're antithetical to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're process of our uh, what do they call it? Um, I can't remember what that's called exactly, but when one has, uh, hey, this is the way I'd like to see the world, regardless of what the facts are, that's problematic. Right. And when we have leaders that deny science, that pass off lies as truth, we're in a world of trouble, yeah. especially if we just go along with that sort of perspective. Yeah. We, we need to do better than that. Yeah. And I think we can do better. Than well, the first, the first yes. group, yeah, the first group are dreamers. <laughs> the second group are, I don't know what they are, but uh, speaking of dreamers, I never ever thought of Jesus as a dreamer. Uh, mm. What, what, I, I, I don't know whether I should say what were or, <laughs> or what are Jesus dreams. Yeah, I think uh, I think Jesus talks about his dreams over and over. And I use the word dream in the sense of vision. You know, his 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 hope for the world. I think Jesus dreamed of a world in which um, people would love each other as one. I think Jesus dreamed of a world in which they would inherit the earth and in which the grieving would be comforted. I think he dreamed of a world. Uh, which um, heaven would be reflected here on earth. I think these were his aspirational dreams for us and that the things he spoke of weren't necessarily just metaphors, uh, but they spoke to his aspirations for humanity. And that's Mm. the sense in which I mean dream and the sense in which I invite church leaders to tap into that dream, that aspirational vision of the future. Well, I know with this program, our dream is to um, uh, find those new paradigms for a new world. We're looking for those new ways of living because just look around us. The old ways just aren't working. And the plus is that uh, with what's happening around the world today, I think that those new ways of living are going to start to show themselves because we're seeing that the ways in which we have been dealing with stuff in general, I'll say stuff, uh, isn't working. Uh, in spite of a lot of flack that a lot of people are giving to the powers that be uh, who are doing things that are supposedly um, unorthodox and non-traditional. No, no, no. Our documents don't say we can do that and this and the other. And that's socialism. And that's this and that's that. And that's the other thing. And, you know, um, I think that that's what's starting to happen. And, And, you know, some people will look at what's happening around the world today as, oh, my God, this is horrible. This is terrible. But you want to know some of the reports I'm getting from around the world, from people that I have had a chance to talk with. This one gal who's living in Italy, the worst case scenario. She says that people are just kind of going about their business and they're taking it seriously, but they're also continuing to live their lives the best they can. But she says she was in Venice, Italy, um, not too long ago. And then prior to the crackdown. The waters in the canals in Venice are almost crystal clear. The fish have come back. They're seeing dolphins off the coast. There are parts of the world where you're seeing clearer skies. And this is where I want to go with this as far as uh, what you're talking about with uh, Dream Like Jesus. Here in Santa Barbara, um, I am uh, walking and feeling the nice, it's in March, we have snow on the hills behind us uh, here in yeah. Santa Barbara. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Yeah. I'm breathing in this wonderful air and seeing all the green. And I'm really doing my utmost, if not to make myself fully aware, but to absorb this beauty that is around us yeah. r- in spite of or regardless of the reasons why I'm able to do that. Yeah. Talk yeah. to us about that. Yeah, there's something so beautiful happening right now yeah. uh, in the midst of this virus. My background is environmental studies, and I wrote books uh, about green church, reduce, reuse, recycle, rejoice. And uh, 
things that I called for 10 years ago when I wrote those books is that we need to reduce our carbon footprint. And guess what's happening? We are reducing our carbon footprint. And the sky is up, there's less CO2 pollution going into the air, regardless of how it lasts. It's like a Sabbath for the earth. It's like a rest and a respite. Yeah. And this idea of uh, being home and being around your family and uh, being in your home. I mean, a lot of us don't spend time in our homes because we're always going, going. Yeah. There's something pretty cool, an upside, if you will, a silver lining to this virus. We're rediscovering uh, what it is to slow down. We're rediscovering what it is to actually uh, be around our own family, some of us. And the earth is being revealed in a brand new, beautiful way to us. So yeah, definitely some unexpected benefits of this virus. Yeah. And I, I saw a picture of the dolphins in Venice. I was like, whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. A real upside. Yeah, it really is. And um, it's, it's one of these things that I have advocated for 30 or more years when the influenza would start to circle the globe and it would hit the United States usually in December, January, peak in February, March, and then it was gone. And I always said, all right, so how much uh, lost productivity do we have and what's that costing our economy? And I know there are numbers that, that I, I could turn to to, sh to to see that. But it goes on for two and three months, right? Well, what if you shut everything down? I don't necessarily mean everything like we're doing now, but what if you yeah. shut down air travel for just two weeks? Just yeah. two weeks. Everybody sit yeah. still. Everybody just stay where you are. Do the wash your hands regularly. I don't care what it is that's out there. Wash your hands. I mean, yeah. I've been advocating that for, for over 30 years. What? I mean, I got to believe that it would be a much smaller economic uh, footprint, if you will, or dip than the long term impacts of two and three months of people getting sick, taking it to work, getting everybody else sick. Now more people are taking work time off because they're sick and so on and so on and so on. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Well, maybe maybe we've reached a new place where. Maybe we'll find ways of, of doing a modified version of that when when the yeah. stuff like this kicks up. And people need to be able to afford to take sick time. So workplaces need to change so that they can. Yeah. You and know? I, yeah. So there are some positives to all of this. Dream Like Jesus is the title of the book. Deepen your faith and bring the impossible to life. Well, kind of what we're talking about is uh, some would say that's impossible. We could never do that. You want to bet? We used we're to, doing it. We used to purchase things with shells. OK. All right. And now we make our own money. Um, mm. And then we don't back it with anything. <laughs> but trust, trust. Uh, what about universal trust, especially in times like these? But anytime in terms of listening to the intuition, that still small voice, that mm. higher self. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the things I really would like churches to reclaim is the spirituality that is woven throughout the Gospels and the Bible, instead of turning it into moral lessons, let's get back to the spiritual messages in there. People had spiritual experiences with God. That's what the Bible is a record of. Yeah. I would love to see people reading that. And then out of that, people have their own spiritual experiences. And then out of that, they dream and they dream big dreams because mm -hmm. they're in touch with the spirit of God alive yeah. within them. And what, I, what I'm really teaching churches how to do in my program called Creating a Culture of Renewal is uh, taking them on a three-year journey of learning congregational intelligence, leadership smarts, and the ability to shift a culture, a sustainable shift where it goes from inward focused and survival focused to outward focused, community focused, kingdom focused, if you will, so that the church becomes the agent of a vision for a community and there's partnership there, and there's connection there, and there's love and inclusion, and it becomes the beloved community. Impossible? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I've watched church leaders all over the country develop beautiful visions for their communities and their congregations and then live in them. And so we're seeing it just 
church by church, community by community, people learning how to dream like Jesus. And that that just fills my heart with joy. Well, they said that we would never fly, let alone go to the moon. And we've done both in less than 100 years. Yeah. 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 Rebecca, I want to thank you so much, Rebecca Simon Peter, for joining us here on the program. And uh, before I let you go, first of all, I'd invite you uh, to Santa Barbara when uh, this uh, stuff uh, finally calms down and maybe we can sit across the table uh, without fear of uh, infecting one another (laughs) and and continue this conversation about dreaming and dreaming big. There's nothing wrong with that. I'd love to do that. Indeed. I'd love it, too. Thanks, Richard. And then I have three final questions for you that I like to ask all of my guests. You may have answered them to some degree uh, throughout the interview, but I'd like to ask them directly. But a reminder to our listeners about the podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Player FM and uh, Spotify and and all those good places. And um, also a reminder that we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and Monday mornings at 1 a.m. And uh, we stream live at those times as well. And please go to our guest website, which we will be linked to, to uh, uh, go there. Uh, RebeccaSimonPeter.com is the website. We will be linked, so you don't have to worry about spelling it. First question to you, who is Rebecca Simon Peter? You asked this at the end of the show, Richard. How long do I have? 30 seconds? You go for Let's it. See. Who is Rebecca Simon Peter? I am a person who is committed that other people discover their inner divinity. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Uh, I would like to empower people to discover that they are more than they think they are. And they are bigger beings than they believe themselves to be so that they contribute to the kind of world they'd like to live in. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Mm. My life's purpose is to let the light of God shine through me and to raise the amount of light on the planet. Rebecca, Simon, Peter, again, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We do look forward to having you back again. Uh, prefer, uh, I'd love to have you back later this year to continue our conversation. And I thank, thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until next time, love to love.